Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Sustainalytics podcast. My name is Doug Morrow, and I'm a director on the thematic research team here at Sustainalytics. And we're here today to talk about the emerging global cannabis industry and our recent spotlight on the topic, which is entitled The Budding Cannabis Industry, A First Look at ESG. I'm joined today by Martin Bezer. He's a senior associate on the thematic research team. Hello, Martin. Hello. Martin was the lead author of this spotlight, so we're really happy to have him here today. So thank you for joining. So yeah, as I mentioned, we're here obviously to talk about the spotlight. So let's, um, but, but maybe let's back up and just you know quickly get up to speed on what's going on. So um, how do you characterize the, the cannabis industry currently in Canada and what are the changes in the works that we've all read about in the news with Justin Trudeau? Canada's uh, cannabis industry is currently in a state of transition. Uh, Canada's been working on legalizing recreational cannabis for some time. Cannabis has been legal for medical use in Canada since around 2001. During his 2015 election campaign, Mm -hmm. Justin Trudeau campaigned on the idea that recreational cannabis use should be legalized. On June 18th of this year, The Senate passed Bill C-45, which is also known as the Cannabis Act, by October 17. This law is expected to be in full force and recreational cannabis will be legal. So how is this different? Like, What what exactly is this going to mean uh, in terms of legalizing recreational cannabis use? How is that different um, from medical use and and what exactly is going to happen when this this becomes law? Well, currently Canada's uh, medical marijuana industry is open for patients who are uh, looking to use marijuana to relieve different types of symptoms they feel from certain diseases, uh, but it's much more tightly regulated and confined to the space of medical uh, use. When recreational cannabis comes into play, uh, the market will be open to uh, adults who want to use cannabis for um, you know, their own enjoyment without having to introduce any kind of medical reasons uh, to, to buy or produce cannabis on their own. Canada currently has more than 100 licensed medical marijuana growers. Many of these growers are likely to be moving into the recreational mar- market. Can I, can I just yep. this? So, sure. So let's, okay, this is great. So, so recreational cannabis use is going to become legal. So let's talk about it from an investor point of view. So how many companies right now are involved in this industry? Currently, uh, well, in Canada, there are 90 publicly traded companies involved in cannabis-related activities. Some of them are growers, others are producers, uh, and others are involved in ancillary products and services. Uh, Canada's new policy on recreational marijuana will put Canada in a unique position globally. Uh, It'll be only the second country to legalize recreational use marijuana at the national level. Uh, Uruguay uh, is the only other country to have uh, introduced such a measure. Uh, The U.S. uh, has a a big market for both recreational and medical marijuana, um, but there are complexities in the U.S. market due to a tension between the way the federal government sees marijuana and the way different state-level governments see marijuana. It's illegal at the federal level, but legal in many uh, state jurisdictions. Right. I think I've read that. So California, for example, is, is one state where recreational cannabis use is legal, but at the federal level, it's, um, it's a banned substance. 
That's in right. the U.S. We're talking. It's considered a Schedule One substance. Schedule, yes. Okay. So you mentioned ninety Canadian companies, but what about globally? What are we looking at here in terms of industry sizing globally? How many companies are, um, you know, are, are forming industry globally? We surveyed a broad universe of securities um, using different sources and found a total of 181 publicly traded uh, companies that are involved in cannabis in one form or another. Uh, as we mentioned already, many of these are growers or distributors, but we also include in this number ancillary products and services companies such as uh, human resources companies that are dedicated to finding employment for people who are looking to involved in the cannabis industry, uh, as well as financial services firms that are dedicated to investing in uh, companies that are producing, selling, or somehow uh, involved in uh, the marijuana trade. So did you do analysis on total revenues or, or, or total market cap? Like how, how big is this industry compared to others? We did look at the market cap. Uh, globally, the market cap of all these companies amounts to approximately $41 billion U.S. dollars. Uh, we segmented the industry first by country to see which countries have the most exposure. Uh, Canada is by far the biggest market for cannabis companies. Uh, Canada is home to uh, about 90 uh, companies that have a total market capitalization of about 24 billion U.S. dollars. The U.S. is the next biggest market. Uh, it has uh, around 75 companies with a total value uh, in their market cap of about 12 billion U.S. dollars. So the Canadian um, market has about twice the market capitalization of the U.S. Uh, and then these two markets dwarf all the other markets uh, around the world. So really the industry is quite small. That's what I'm hearing. So, so uh, despite all the interest we've seen in, in the media about um, the, the emerging cannabis industry attracting investor attention, that the total market cap uh, of this industry in terms of the 181 companies is really quite small. So in many respects, it's still very much in its infancy. It is in its infancy. Yeah, you can see this uh, looking at the number of companies that are listed uh, globally. Um, and when you look at individual markets, you can see um, the, the biggest markets are the ones where uh, governments have introduce some sort of legislation to make it easier for companies to operate. Canada is going to be uh, special in this sense because it's going to have this federal policy that allows for recreational cannabis. It's going to make it easier for companies to set up their operations and work here, to be listed on uh, Canadian exchanges, um, and even companies that have major operations in the U.S. and are drawing much of their revenue from U.S. customers are listing in Canada uh, and basing their companies in Canada because of the uh, ease of operating in Canada compared to a market like the U.S. So you mentioned the TSX. That's interesting because I've read that some uh, foreign exchanges in Europe, for instance, and, and even in the U.S., some uh, companies are facing difficulties getting listed due to some complexities about how they how they treat cannabis. Uh, is, is it fair to say Canada is at a relative, and the TSX and other exchanges are at a relative advantage globally when it comes to um, listing companies in this industry? It will be easier for companies to list in Canada um, than it will be for them to list in other markets. Uh, listing on an exchange is, is one advantage that a company will have, but another advantage will be something even simpler like doing business with a bank. 
having a bank provide uh, the infrastructural support for taking you know, credit card payments, for example. Uh, mm. When you're operating in a regulatory environment where the government is potentially going to penalize uh, a company for doing business with a cannabis retailer or distributor or producer, um, that will limit what kinds of activities a company can do. Right. So then one other question here, you mentioned the, 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 two, the two markets, recreational medical. So is it fair to say that the incumbent uh, medical companies, as you will, if you will, so the companies that are targeting the medical marijuana industry, are they, are they planning to target this emerging recreational market as well? Or how are companies strategizing around this, um, this legal transition that's going to take place in the fall? Yeah, we expect to see a major shift in the way companies are targeting the market. Our screen that looks at product involvement in the cannabis space finds that most of the companies are currently focused on the medical market. We found that only 28% of the companies in our sample um, that are doing either production or distribution of cannabis are focused on the recreational market. The bulk of the companies are in the medical space. So as this market opens up in Canada and other markets are popping up in other jurisdictions, including about 30 states in the U.S., we think that this focus on the medical market is going to expand to include recreational use cannabis. Great. So let's turn to ESG. So what should investors be thinking about from an ESG point of view when they consider or contemplate making investments in, in this industry? What are, the, what are the key ESG issues? We surveyed quite an extensive literature to look at the uh, way that cannabis is produced and some of the environmental, social, and governance risks that cannabis companies face in this um, changing market. And we narrowed the ESG factors that cannabis companies are exposed to when it comes to risk to four, four broad uh, categories. We have uh, energy and emissions, pesticide use, land use, and water use. Cultivation is an energy intensive process, especially when you're growing cannabis indoors. Uh, arguably, indoor cultivation is the most energy intensive industry in the United States. It currently consumes about 1% of the US uh, overall electricity. And these growers that are consuming electricity for lighting, uh, ventilation, controlling humidity and temperature um, are likely to face some pushback from regulators when it comes to the energy efficiency and associated emissions um, of their operations. Great, great. So uh, that makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, clearly uh, you have a controlled environment that, that takes a lot of energy to control. So they're going to be exposed to, um, to significant energy costs. That's quite interesting that your research found that the, can the indoor cannabis industry is the single most or among the most energy intensive sub-industries in the entire United States. So that, that certainly speaks to you know, the, the scope of energy use that is actually used in cultivating indoor cannabis. What about pesticides? What did you find on that issue? Pesticides are also concerning. Uh, we've seen over the past several years, companies in the U.S. and Canada have been found to be selling cannabis products that have been tainted with banned chemicals, uh, including pesticides that can be dangerous when they are heated and inhaled. 
as companies have uh, been caught doing this, they've been facing uh, product recalls, um, sometimes voluntary, sometimes enforced. Regulators have been upping the ante by introducing new penalties. Uh, in 2017, Canada Health Canada introduced policy to fine companies uh, up to $1 million per violation, uh, and they can even take away the license of producers if they are found to be uh, using banned pesticides in their production uh, uh, and supply chain. So we expect that this kind of um, ramping up of regulation and public scrutiny around what is going into these cannabis crops will escalate as more markets uh, come into play. So tell me about what companies are doing to manage these ESG issues. Do they have the types of programs and policies that we would normally expect to see, or is it more of a nascent ESG strategy? How would, how would you characterize the industry on ESG? Well, our ESG analysis focused on the big four cannabis players. These are Canopy, Afria, Aurora, and Medrelief. Uh, these companies are huge in terms of their market capitalization. They account for about half of the Canadian market cap um, and about a third of the global market cap. So we take them to be leaders in um, you know, overall expansion, and therefore we would expect them to be the first to uh, really develop robust ESG policies. However, we've found that they are clearly underdeveloped in their policies and programs related to emissions and pesticides. We looked at indicators of uh, emissions, such as their renewable energy programs, the scope of their greenhouse gas emissions, their GHG reduction programs, and actually found that none of these four companies has any kind of policy or program in place to address these issues. We also looked at pesticide-related indicators, such as products and services management programs, uh, their quality management systems, and found that only med relief of the big four is relatively well positioned to uh, manage quality control and chemical use related to cannabis growth. Interesting. So, you know, based on the information you provided earlier, it stands to reason that a, a prudent investor might want to take these types of issues into account if they're contemplating uh, entering the emerging uh, cannabis industry and also how the companies are positioned on these issues. So, so thank you very much for that. So let's conclude just by looking ahead. You know, how do you see this industry evolving over the next little bit? And uh, you know, what do you think the investor response will be? Well, this industry is clearly still in its infancy, but it's experiencing quite a bit of momentum in terms of the market expansion, revenue growth, and investor interest. Globally, cannabis, cannabis revenues are currently estimated to be around 10 billion US dollars per year, and projections suggest that revenues will grow to be around 64 billion by 2024. But as we discussed in this report, this hype around legalization may have led to some severe speculation when it comes to the stock prices. We find that this kind of speculation might be baked into um, uh, the way that some investors are valuing these companies. In the short term, I expect that some of these companies that are riding the wave of investor interest and the general hype ar around legalization will face some setbacks as the hype wears off and investors look more closely at how companies can sustainably scale their operations and 
address some of the fundamental issues in their business models. In the longer term, I think uh, the industry will face mounting pressure to internalize costs, especially costs associated with uh, emissions and pesticide use. And regulators around the world uh, will probably look for ways to incentivize companies to reduce their emissions and improve their energy efficiency, uh, as well as address the health risks and environmental risks related to pesticide use. Great. That's very insightful. Good points, Martin. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you for joining us today. So I think with that, we can conclude. So thank you to all of our listeners for joining, and we uh, look forward to hosting you on the next podcast. Thank you.